Good morning and welcome to Hochmai and Coffee. It's crazy to think it's already November, but I'm thankful you are here as we are journeying through Hebrews together. I'm going to bring on uh, my brother Jonah here and we'll get started. Hey Jonah, how are you? Good, how are you doing? Oh, doing well. You enjoying this fall weather? It is cold and rainy, but we definitely need the rain, but yes, yeah, it is we, good. We do need the rain. And I, I'm thankful. I love fall. It's like my favorite. And we are now being able to start burning a fire in our house. And that's always nice and cozy and being able to split the wood out there. It's just fun. I enjoy the fall time. But I'm thankful you're here to jump into Hebrews 8. Good I to mean, be here. It's amazing how long this journey has been so far. I mean, mm -hmm. we've been we've been trucking along through Hebrews, but we're getting into some really delicious territory. I think chapter eight's really nice and practical. We get to see some really cool, uh, I guess the the summation. We'll talk about that uh, of what we've been journeying to for so for so long. But let's go over to some of the things we've got to get out of the way. If you'd like to get this free Hochman coffee background, as well as get updates on when we go live and things. You can actually get that. It's free. It's in the description, and I encourage you to check that out. Also, if you want to be part of the Cool Mug Club, there's that down below. Check it out. Become part of the Cool Mug Club. I know there's some of you out there watching right now who's got yours. you got your coffee, and we're getting ready for your hochmah. We're excited for that. Oh, oh, okay. So we're doing our biggest giveaway ever, and I haven't really talked too much about it on hochmah and coffee, but we're giving away... A very expensive open Bible, as well as a few courses and another book. And if you want to know more about it, look for this thumbnail on my page. We review this study Bible, and you'll know all the details on how to enter into that giveaway, okay? And then also, our final thing we have to say is thank you to our supporters. Uh, they have been with us through thick and thin. And so we've got Judy Murphy, Gary Pence, Maggie Diaz, Kathy Earnhardt, Cindy Erickson. We are so thankful for you guys and just how uh, God has used you to continue getting Hochmah and coffee out. There's hundreds of episodes and it's crazy to think. And it's because of people like them who have been supporting us that we're able to do it. And if you want to check out our past episodes, you can check it out wherever podcasts are. But I'm thankful for you guys. Thankful for uh, Miss Crystal she just commented just a few minutes ago that she's doing well and God is so great and that is the truth he really is good and for those who tune in feel free to jump into the comments I know some people don't like commenting on things I, I kind of in the same way I was talking to Jonah yesterday and I was like you know if I were watching a live stream I'd probably be hesitant to comment in too and so if you're out there and you're like oh I don't know should I ask a question you can you don't have to but it, you can and we would love to interact with you that way but we're going to jump right into the text this morning. And so if you have your Bibles out there, you guys can turn to Hebrews 8, or you can just watch it on the screen here. But we're in Hebrews chapter 8, and we'll begin reading in verse number 1. It says this, Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth, 
he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed to thee in the mount. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, but or by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities. I love this. Will I remember no more? And that he saith, a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. And so this is chapter 8 here. Now before we dive into chapter 8, just want to take a second and remind you that we're jumping into a flow of thought here. When we are studying the Bible, we can't just take this chapter uh, out by itself. And sometimes that's why people can't understand what the Bible's saying. It's because each day they get up to do their devotions and they pick a chapter out of the word and they kind of take that chapter by itself and they forget that this is a flow that has begun from the beginning of the book and that this book has a genre, it has a author or a human penman, if you want to put it that way. It has a circumstance that it was addressing. There's so much going on here. So if we're going to understand Hebrews 8, we have to understand what's going on. And so I think, I think the basic is he's, these are Hebrew Christians who are tempted to go back. And I think we can understand that. They have traded a visible system, a visible high priest, a visible temple, for one they can't see, you know? And I think that would be tough. Uh, I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's just me, but I can understand, I can sympathize with them thinking, okay, so we've joined this movement, but, but how do we know that Jesus really is all that people say he is you know is, is, am i the only one who's thinking that jonah what do you, do you think that it would be tough no especially when uh it's so ingrained in your everyday life um maybe i'm, I'm not trying to be rude or anything but i do know it is maybe difficult for american christians because maybe our christianity isn't so ingrained to our everyday life because we go to our normal work and yeah. uh we a lot of lukewarm Christians as well. And I've been there and I'm not saying you guys, if you're there, you're absolutely terrible. I encourage you to <laughs> revive. Uh, but um, I do think in that culture, um, there was so much to do 
uh, in regards to the law. Yeah. And so when you're doing this, you're thinking this is what it's all about. And then all of a sudden this Jesus comes along and he's kind of doing away with a lot of this stuff. Like, wait, I don't have to do this. I don't have to go here. Um, I thought this was my salvation. No, 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 that's never. And we're actually, we even talked about it last week as well. Uh, But he he mentions it here again. Um, If that law was perfect, then why would we need it? Or even that last high priest was perfect, that order. Then why, why would we need a new one? one. Uh, I like that. I I think that's something that brings us into their shoes. And I, mm-hmm. again, before I talk about this, remember, if I'm looking up here, I'm talking to you. If I'm looking down here, I'm not ignoring Jonah. I'm actually looking at him on my screen. So just want to put that out there. Mm-hmm. But I think that brings us back into their shoes because we often, we don't sympathize with these Hebrew Christians. And sometimes we read through this and we're like, man, why would they want to go back? Jesus is awesome. And Jesus is awesome. But they just wanted to double check because their grandpa, their great grandpa, their great, 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 great grandpa, I mean, for hundreds of years have been doing the same thing the same way. And I don't know if you guys have family traditions. I know we do like different things we do every year. And when you break a family tradition, it's like, whoa, what are you doing? And, and that's not even a religious tradition. That's just a, you know, a family thing we do every year. For them, this has been family forever. And so it'd be scary. It looked like you're about to say something. I, I do believe they would definitely uh, be considered apostate or they'd be shunned because, I mean, yeah. you just talk to Jews today. It, they they don't want anything to do with Jesus because they don't believe he's the Messiah. And yeah. so they, they think, if I believe on this Jesus, I'm no longer a Jew a or Jew. whatever my, my culture they'll shun me because they don't think I'm following the law or whatever. And so it's if scary. that's still this way, I think it'd be so much more intense. Well, this I read time. that they actually held funerals for yeah. them and that it was like, you're dead to us. You are now separated from us. And so these people have been separated from their families. They have been separated from the temple. I mean, they're excommunicated. Um, and, and so now they're thinking, this is, this is scary. Like, should I go back and try to make restitution or should I stay with Jesus? And so that's the purpose of the book of Hebrews. So hopefully with that catch up, you get into the flow and he's been talking about how Jesus is better. He's better. He's better. He's better. He's better than the angels in chapter one. He's better than Moses in chapter two. He's better than Aaron and his priesthood. He's talked about uh, all these different things. And in chapter eight, we're actually coming kind of to a head with the priesthood. And Joan and I, just even this morning, we're going through the different times where he's been talking about Jesus as a high priest. And it began maybe even earlier than this, but we were going back all the way in chapter two. He starts referring to him as a high priest. At the end of chapter four, he really starts digging into Jesus as our high priest. And so now as we jump into chapter eight, verse number one, I'm going to switch over to another view here uh, so I can circle things. As we jump into chapter eight, verse one, we see him say, this is the sum. This is like, he's like, all right, guys, here we are. This is the summation of, or this is the climax, even we could think of it that way, of the arguments that we have been building from the end of chapter four all the way till now. So we have been talking about Jesus as a better high priest, and this is the sum. And I love this. We have such a high priest. Like he's trying to tell them this is special. This is not just any high priest. And the high priest, I mean, I, I wish we could have been there and seen, but he had those like fancy clothes, you know, with like the ephod. And he looked 
glorious. And when the sun shone on that, I bet you it glistened in the light, was very glorious looking. But he says, no, 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 guys. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. I mean, can it get better than that? And he's trying to say, we have a better high priest. I mean, our high priest, and this is huge. We, we were talking about this before, is set. And so in the, in the tabernacle, there were no chairs. And so they never sat. They're always working. But Jesus' work is finished. And so he's set. He's sitting. And, and so as we're looking at this, he's better. He's a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, whereof it is of necessity that this man have somewhat to offer. Now, I'm gonna, I'm, I've been talking a lot, so I want to kind of turn it over to you, Jonah. What are some things you're seeing here as we're getting started? And you can kind of jump into this section here that you think we need to pull out and focus in on what is the author of Hebrews drawing our minds to here with Jesus as this high priest? Oh, uh, yeah. First of all, it's uh, awesome to always talk about our Savior. And yeah. I, I I, get the feeling that the penman of this book had the same feeling. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I was about to open up a can of worms, but we don't, we're not going to open up any worms this morning. Um, but I do believe that uh, it's simply talking about how, again, yes, Jesus Christ is a better high priest. He's sit. Uh, he's set on the right hand of the Father uh, in the heavens. There was no other high priest that, uh, first of all, even went to heaven. Uh, let alone, it's to just be. Yeah, they went into the holy of holies in the tabernacle. Um, but uh, Jesus, he's a minister. He is the mediator, as we'll see. That is literally in the presence of God, not just a symbol. And we're, I, I think if we keep on reading, yeah, verse five, it says um, that was just a shadow of the heavenly things. Uh, Jesus is in the real deal, the, the substantive uh, tabernacle. That's not just a picture or a shadow uh, or a symbol of it in Jesus Christ. And so um, I do believe as this penman is writing uh, this to these Jews, he's saying, you do not have to fear Yes, you might lose family, but look at this high priest. You cannot yeah. deny the fact. And uh, he, this penman obviously knew a whole lot of the law. He knew a whole lot of the history of Israel. And so when he is, he is making it extremely clear for these Jews, they're like, I had some reservations, but the more this man keeps writing, the more I can get uh, at ease. This yeah. high priest is so much better. And so, I love that. And I think it, it is putting them at ease as they see how good and how awesome and how great Jesus is compared to the priesthood of Aaron. And so thank you for sharing that. I was looking in the comments and we just had Miss Belinda uh, say this. She says, hi there. I absolutely love the word tabernacle. It has so much meaning to me. It is my song. Jesus tabernacles with us in our temple. And I love that word uh, tabernacle as well. And one day we might journey through the Bible just looking at the tabernacle theme, you know, from the Garden of Eden onward. But tabernacle is rich. And I mean, even the fact that Jesus or, or John, when he's talking about Jesus in John 1, talks about how the Word became flesh and mm -hmm. tabernacled and dwelt among us. I mean, it's so rich. It's so, I'm so thankful 
that he does tabernacle with us and that he is, he is the true tabernacle. I mean, he even said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And we'll talk more about this true tabernacle. It seems right. And actually, I guess that's a good segue. As we're reading through here, we see that these priests, you know, the ones in under the old covenant, they offer gifts. And that's why he says it's necessary that Jesus also have a gift. And he's going to talk about Jesus' offering more in chapter 9 and 10. And so we're not quite going to dive into why his offering is better yet. We're going to let the text unfold that. But he tells them, okay, so if he's a high priest, it's a necessity that Jesus, this man, have somewhat also to offer. So he puts that out there. But he says, for if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that the that, that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. And so he's not offering gifts according to the old law. But look at this. He says that these other priests serve unto the example and shadow. I love how you mentioned that. And this is going to become a big, big part of the next few chapters. Shadow versus substance. Shadow versus substance. And it's funny because he plays on this. You would think that Jesus kind of feels like the shadow because you can't see him. And the temple is substance because you can see it and touch it. But he says, no, it's actually the opposite. The What you see is the shadow. It's just, it's, it's the imperfect resemblance of the real. You know, like if you looked at my shadow, if my shadow was on live stream right now, you'd be like, what are we looking at? What, what's going on? Is he trying to talk? Is he, what kind of facial expression is he making? Because you couldn't see that. Because the shadow only, only gives you a basic understanding of the real. And he's saying that when you look at the temple and you look at this high priest, it's a shadow. You can't even see all the detail. You just see a little bit of what's coming. And he says that that temple is a shadow of the heavenly things. He says, it's a shadow of the heavenly things as Moses admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. And he says, for see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern. He says, it's a pattern that was showed him in the mount. And so this heavenly tabernacle, the, the earthly tabernacle was made to resemble the heavenly tabernacle, which we're not going to dive too much into, not because we don't have time, but because I don't have a deep knowledge of this subject. It would take me more study than I've done to, to really talk about this subject. But it seems from this text that there was a heavenly tabernacle that Moses was shown that he patterned the earthly tabernacle after. And the earthly tabernacle or the earthly temple was a shadow of the substance that's in heaven. And I think the whole point is this. Jesus is ministering in the real place. Jesus is the only high priest there. And so he's better because he's in the real tabernacle where these people are just in the shadow. Does that seem like that's what he's saying, Jonah? Oh, yeah, I believe so. Okay. And so here in verse number six, he says, And now hath obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is a mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. And so here we're going to take a turn. This is a, a turn in the book where he's going to kind of, he says, I summed up him as the high priest. But now we're going to look at him as the mediator of a better covenant. We're going to talk first about this better covenant, which is another reason why he's a better high priest. I mean, we were, it's, it's all building and all speaking about itself, but a better covenant. Now, you probably have all looked in your Bibles and seen there's two testaments, right? There's the Old Testament there's the New Testament. And he's trying to tell us that what Jesus enters into or initiates is better. This New Testament 
is better. Now, Jonah, I want you to start jumping into this section here about how it's better. I, I think you already kind of mentioned verse seven, but you can maybe even launch off with the reasoning that he has in verse seven. Yeah. So uh, verse seven, for if that uh, for if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. And I do believe the next several verses here in uh, Hebrews and I'll just even state this. Uh, when we were talking about this yesterday, um, Addison was thinking, uh, he's saying, isn't, isn't this, uh, wasn't it in Jeremiah that they were, he was mentioning the new covenant that's going to be written in uh, the people's hearts and all that. And honestly, I had a small, it sounded familiar. I didn't necessarily know. And then all of a sudden he pulled up and I believe he'll pull it up uh, in a few seconds, I believe. Uh, when he starts talking about it, but I think it's Jeremiah 31. Um, and so I'll just mention this for anyone watching. The Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. And so when I, if, if we were just reading this and if I was just reading it, yeah, I have some good study tools that I like to use. And I would probably, if I study it long enough, I'd probably run into Jeremiah 31. Uh, but when, that's why it's so important that you do know your Bible, because um, it would have taken me a whole lot longer to get to that point. But if you just get familiar with just the big portions of the big ideas of the Bible, read through it multiple times, try to do it as at least once a year if you can. Um, man, it, it's just so awesome when you can say, oh, wait a minute, I've read that somewhere else. And yeah. so it just makes the Bible, first of all, that much easier to understand, but that much more alive in your brain and in your heart. And so uh, verse seven, for if the first covenant had been faultless, if it had been perfect, if it had been complete, if it could make us who we we're supposed to be, then there should, uh, then should no place have been sought for the second covenant. So why have another covenant? Uh, I think, I mean, if we're still wondering by Hebrews chapter eight, why the first covenant wasn't uh, perfect and uh, didn't have any lack or want, um, I, I, I think we must need to read it again. But I do believe it's super clear throughout this entire book up to this point that the old covenant could not do anything for eternity. Yeah. It was simply in place to show us, first of all, I mean, the New Testament tells us this as well, that the Old Testament, the law, was our schoolmaster. Yeah. It was just simply there to show us, I'm not good. And I believe these Jews understood they weren't good. That's why they're offering these sacrifices. Right, That's right. why they had their high priest so that they could get their sins atoned. Uh, and I, lo I love that word. I'm not going to go into that word, but it's, a, it's just the Old Testament and the New Testament connotations and even the definitions that they use in the Old and New Testament. It's just an awesome thing. Uh, but they knew I'm, I'm bad, but they were looking and putting their hope in the wrong thing. Right. And so this penman is saying that covenant, if it would have been perfect, Jeremiah wouldn't. And he's going to then quote Jeremiah. Jeremiah wouldn't say this. there's going to be a better testament. Wait, why do we need a better one? Well, because right. this one is not it, it can't get you where you need to be. And I think that's huge. And so he's making an argument here. It's a very logical argument. And so he's trying to show them this is not something you need to be nervous about. Because they remember they left their families, they've left these old things, and they're thinking, did we just ditch God? Like, did we leave 
God. And he's saying, wait, 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 wait. This has been talked about by Jeremiah. So you can go into your Bible, the one that your parents and your grandparents and your great grandparents, and you can read in Jeremiah 31, this quote right here. I mean, these next basically four or five verses are a direct quote from Jeremiah 31. And he's saying, you can read in your Bible that God himself was saying that there is going to be, look at this, it says, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, right here, look, the Lord, when I, this is God, will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And he goes on to say, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers. He's like, this is going to be different than the covenant that I, I made with them at Sinai. This is a totally new covenant. And he says, uh, because they continued not in my covenant. I mean, when they gave him the law, they couldn't keep the law. In fact, uh, that's one of the saddest stories in the, in the Old Testament is as he's, as he's giving the covenant, as they're getting married together, right? He, they're cheating on him with the, with the golden calf. Like as they're getting married, these, they're cheating on him. And I can't even imagine that. Like at your wedding, the spouse cheating on the groom. That just blows my mind. Like that would just, that would break the person's heart. And at the wedding ceremony, Israel cheated on God. And yet he stayed with them. And he, but he goes on, he says, they couldn't keep it. It says, they continued not in my covenant. They could not keep the covenant. And he says, so I'm going to make a new one. And this covenant will be different. Instead of it being on tables of stone, he says, I'm going to put my laws into their mind and I'm going to write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And so this is why he's going to begin developing this even more in chapter nine about the new covenant. But he's saying this covenant's way better. Like Jesus is a minister. I think he said over here of a better covenant. He's a minister of a better covenant. And this is why it's better because he is going to be placing it not on stone for us to look at, but on our hearts for it to be actually in us and crave craving it. Um, I, I was listening to a preacher yesterday and he made reference to this and he said, uh, the stop signs, you know, they are the law right? You know, or not stop signs, the speed limit signs, they are the law, but they don't have as much pull as a police officer standing there with a radar gun. A law just written down has less power to influence us than a person's presence, you know? And I was like, whoa, that's good. That's, that's like, that's good. And that's kind of a little bit of what's going on here, but it's, but it's even better. So, so here, you know, it's not just a speed limit sign, can't really make you do what's right, but someone with a radar gun can. The radar gun guy, he's just, he's almost just like the law. He's just trying to find fault. Where Jesus isn't just somebody with a radar gun, he's a friend who wants to come and help and transform your desires to where you want to keep the law. Where like, you want to do what's right. The guy with the speed gun, he just forces you to conform for that few seconds while he's watching you and then you kind of go off a different direction. Hopefully not, hopefully, hopefully not. If you're driving to work this morning, Keep the law, you know, do, do what's right. But as we're looking at this, he's, he's trying to sell, tell these people, Jesus, he wants to put his law inside of us and change us from the inside out. And I think that's, that's such a special thing. If you're saved, you know, this is special, that God moved inside and transformed you. You're born again. And I love verse 11. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and his bro every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For all shall know me. Those who are saved, they know God. Like, if you're watching this and you're saved, you know him. Like, 
you are one of the greatest proofs that he exists. And that's why he asks you to be a witness. A witness is somebody who's seen something, who's experienced something, and they're supposed to tell what they have seen and heard. That's your job. That's my job is to tell people, I know him. Like, you can try to disprove God, but I know him. And he says, they're not going to need for someone to teach him because they will know the Lord from the least to the greatest. And I love verse 12. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm, I'm going on on this, but look at this. He says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Friend, because we have a better high priest, because we have a better high priest and because we have a better covenant, our sins are gone. Hmm. Like, like that's massive. I am a sinner. I wish I wasn't. I really do. And every day I wish I was just perfect. And I'm, I'm yearning, like it says in Romans, my body is groaning for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our bodies. And that's that glorification when, when we will be completely separate from sin and only, only dedicated to Jesus. Can you guys wait for that? Like I can't. Where I don't even have to worry about sin anymore and I will just be completely like him for I shall see him as he is. I can't wait for that day. But until that day, this is so beautiful that my sins, my iniquities are cleansed and are gone because, not because of the old covenant, but because of this new covenant that Jesus at the Last Supper said, this is the New Testament in my blood. He's like, I'm initiating the new covenant in my blood. When I die on the cross, it's beginning this new covenant. And so I, I love it. And I know, I know at the end it says here that because he said new, Jeremiah, because Jeremiah said new, that means the first one is old. I don't think that's deep. It's, it feels really deep, though. I mean, it's like, whoa, kind of like a paradigm shift. Like, that means that the covenant that my parents have been using for hundreds of years is old. Like that makes sense now that that was supposed to be done away. Like when you have old shoes, it means you don't really use those anymore because you have new shoes. And he's saying, if God and Jeremiah said there's a new covenant that makes the first covenant old and ready to vanish away. And so, Jonah, what, what thoughts do you have here? I know I've just been going, and I want to give you some time to talk about this. What are some things that, that you are seeing from this passage? Oh, um, <clears throat> just since we're on it, the verse 12 is just obviously, mm. this is literally why it's called the gospel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, the good news, because we're all sinners. Well, all have sinned. And so it's just, you can never get over can't ever get used to how good God truly is. Um, why would a perfect God who's never done wrong to us be so willing to be merciful and gracious to yeah. us that have done nothing but wrong and transgressed his, his will. It's just absolutely amazing. And just because I mentioned it and it, it goes hand in hand with verse 12 and you even mentioned your sins are gone. He'll remember our iniquities and our sins no more. Um, I talked about that word atonement in the new in the Old Testament just meant to cover, and that just shows how the old te, uh, the Old Testament was it was not faultless. Yeah. It, our sins were still there; it just covered uh, the award for atonement. If you go to uh, I say somewhere in Genesis, maybe I think it's Genesis uh, Noah. He, when he covered the ark, he pitched it with pitch. Yeah. Those two words, same English word, it looks like pitched and pitch. It just means he covered it with that tar or pitch. 
Right. That's the same word for atonement in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, atonement, uh, I believe I just looked up the word atonement. I'm, there might be a tone somewhere else, but only atonement uh, is shown one time in the New Testament. But it simply means an exchange now. It says now we receive the atonement because of our Christ, or because yeah. Jesus. He exchanged. He gave us his righteousness, yeah. but he took away all of our sin. And that's what I see in verse 12. Yeah. It's not just covering uh, our sins. No, he says, I'm he taking, I bore all of your sins on my body while I was on the cross. Yeah, It is no more yours. I took it all. I'm like, oh, man. And so by far, we have a great high priest. Oh, no yeah. other high priest you know, was able to do that. No, I, I love that. I mean, so yesterday I was reading in a book and I, maybe I'll do, I'll, I'll talk about it on our channel later, but in the book, he talks about how Satan always wants to take us to Sinai. Jesus mm -hmm. wants to take us to Calvary. And so for you, if you're watching this and, uh, or listening to this later on and remember this, when you sin and you have the guilt on you both, and this is what he was saying, both Satan and the Holy spirit want to use that guilt on your conscience. Satan wants to use that guilt to drive you back to the law and try to make you either excuse yourself and say, I'm not really that bad. I didn't really break the law that bad. Or to try to work your way out of it and like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to try to do better. And once I do better, God will accept me. I'm going to work my way out of this guilt and shame. And he takes you back to Sinai. Whenever Jesus and the Holy Spirit see your guilt, they want to take you to Calvary where you realize, yeah, I sinned. I did wrong. And I, I was so sorry. But you also look and you see that Jesus made full atonement for that sin. And that's the place you have to humble yourself at the cross and realize I don't deserve this, but it's there. It's paid for and you receive that forgiveness. And, and because it says here, I'll be merciful in their sins and iniquities. I'll remember no more. Frank, go back to Calvary daily. Remember the high cost that Jesus paid to give us verse 12, that our sins and iniquities could be remembered no more. I love that. Now, that's basically chapter eight. Um, we might talk a little bit more about it in a second, but I want to go to the comments real fast. And I want us to look at kind of what's been coming in. I, I know they've been chatting over here. And so we have here, uh, the writer refers back to the law of Moses as well as that he will write the law in our hearts, meaning that we cannot forget about the whole law entirely. So when we look at this, <clears throat> the law of Moses, which is intriguing, this is really this Hebrews doesn't deal with the law completely. It does a lot. But if you look at Romans and you look at Galatians, you'll see that we are no longer under the law, which is interesting. And a lot of Christians find that unnerving. But I want to encourage you, you don't have to be unnerved by him saying that that old law is done. The reason being is because we are now married to Jesus. <clears throat> and Jesus in the New Testament takes the law and goes further, right? And so it's not like, and, and this is the argument of Galatians. If you would like more on Galatians, maybe I'll link to a video where I cover Galatians. But in Galatians, he says, most people would be nervous that you're going to be go, become lawless, right? If we're not under the law, then people are just going to go out and sin, 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 sin. But this is where he says, no, but I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And he tries to tell them, no, 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 no. When, when you get saved and you're dead to the law and the law no longer has a hold on you, you don't become somebody who just lives in license. No, you walk in the spirit. You, you now are led by Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the law and who does what's right. And, and Jesus gives us his law. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. Love thy neighbor as thyself the Sermon on the Mount. He gives you what he desires for you, but it's something new. And so when he talks about the law is old, 
and it's done away with. It is. But in Christ, we have the better law and the better testament. And so it's a hard one. And I can't dive into it too much here. But I know that with us as Christians, it's hard for us to think that, that we're no longer under the law. It's just it's a hard concept because we often think we're either going to fall into license or, or whatever else. But I encourage you to read Galatians and Romans and, and see how he deals with why we don't go into license. You're about to say something? I think uh, even James chapter two might help too. Yeah. Uh, when you get saved, that saving faith produces mm-hmm. a saving kind of works. Not the yeah. works don't ever save you, but when you're truly saved, you are going to live a certain way. The works are going to show what's already done, what's already happened on the inside. And so we don't necessarily have to worry about, I got to keep the law as well. It's always got to be on my mind. No, if you truly accepted Christ as savior, your life will change. It really so. will. Now I want to look at this one more time. And she says, forget. And I agree that we're not supposed yeah, to forget yeah. it. I agree there because uh, there are some people who only read the New Testament and they think, oh, we don't need yeah. to know the Old Testament. And that's, that's a folly. And the Old Testament is there for our learning and admonition. And I don't think you can understand the new without the old and vice versa. Okay. They are one. They are one. And so thank you for bringing that out. Uh, but let's see, let's see what you said here. But uh, that the new covenant is to save us from our sin through his sacrifice um, I, I don't know if I could say it's an addendum. It's new. And, and it's something that's that he's trying to show us this isn't the old. This is new. And in fact, the old was a shadow. And it wasn't even the real thing. It was just kind of a, a, a vague outline of what God wanted to do in the future. And so it's hard to say that the, the New Testament is an add-on uh, there. And so... But maybe I'm taking your words out of context. I'm just reading comments, and that's hard to do. Let's look here at Miss uh, Yvonne. It says, uh, good morning. Uh, it says, Ezekiel 11, 19-21 also has a beautiful expression of the same promise. I will remove the heart of stone. Uh, yes, that's huge. From their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. I love that. That's so true that he takes our old heart out and gives us a new heart. So good. I love that. And so I'm looking around here. Oh, I love this one right here. There is I will in our present tense. So let me go back over there. It says, I will, verse 12, be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and iniquities will I or I will remember no more. It's present. It's not like there was a time, but it's like, no, I currently will remember their sins no more. And so I love this. Love truly does cover a multitude of sins. And God's love is so fast and so strong. And so thank you everybody for the comments. I hope I didn't take your comments out of context. (laughs) Like it's hard, you know, when you're alive and you're looking at these and you're trying to read them quickly. And so if I took it out of context, please give me grace. I was trying to do my best reading it. Uh, But I do think the, the, the con the uh, conversation about the law needs to happen. So what is our relationship to the law? I agree with you that we shouldn't forget the old Testament. We should still remember it and study it, but what's our relationship to it? That's something that maybe we'll talk about in another video. Uh, But I'm thankful that we have a better high priest who gave us a better covenant. I think that's a good way for us to leave today is remember, don't go back to Sinai, go to Calvary. Don't go back to Sinai, go to Calvary. Anything you want to add before we close off, Jonah? No, I think that's a 
perfect summation of his summation. <laughs> right? That's what's his summation. And so thank you, everybody, for being with us today. Thank you for the comments, chatting back and forth. I hope you all have a blessed day today. If you have more questions, I know the live stream's ending, but leave them in the comments below, and I'll do my best to get back in there and chat with you guys about those. And so thank you guys. Have a great day, and we'll talk to you guys, Lord willing, next Friday.